11. Uh, <laughs> it was all in Proverbs 31. But just stay up here for just a sec, would you? Uh, remind me to have a, uh, for you to never read scripture again, okay? <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's what I got, though, on my email. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, the good news is, no, stay up here. The good news is that uh, that scripture had nothing to do with what I'm going to say this morning. So, (laughs) regardless of what passage it was. No, I want her to stay up here because she's a mom. And I'd like all of the other mothers here this morning, please, just to stand for a moment. And grandmothers and aunts, and just significant others. If, if you're a, a lady here today, and you are a significant other in the life of a child, would you please stand this morning? And uh, I think that just about covers it. That's everybody, I think, or almost everybody. Uh, can we just appreciate these dear ladies this morning for their investment? And you as well, Phyllis. Thank you for all that you do. Blessings. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining, Phyllis. And Phyllis, you are welcome to read Scripture again. I was just uh, tongue-in-cheek at that point. Thomas Edison, of his mother, made this observation. I didn't have my mother long, but she cast over me an influence which has lasted all of my life. The good effects of her early training, I can never lose. If it had not been for her appreciation and her faith in me at a critical time in my experience, I should never likely have become an inventor. And maybe we wouldn't have had Schenectady, New York. Who knows? (laughs) My mother was the making of me, he went on to say. For those of you who are women here today, and you're a mom, you're a grandmother, you're an aunt, you're a significant other to someone, and I look out here and we are truly a multi-generational church. We've got women of all ages. We've got women that are soon to be mothers. We've got mothers here this morning. Perhaps you can just hardly wait till your toddler becomes a teenager and he's out of the house. And we've got mothers here this morning that are grieving their teenager going on to collegehood and then on to adulthood. We've got all stages and seasons of life here today in all circumstances. We've got women here this morning that have lost a child. And this is a very emotional day for you. You'll never forget it as long as you live. And we've got men and women that have lost their mothers. This is just an emotional day. This is a significant day. But what I want you to see this morning as we look at the Word of God is that you are the most influential person in society if you impact the life of a child. There's no more significant investment that you can make than in the life of of a child, you've heard me say it several times, the children are the message that we will send, the generation that we will not see if the Lord tarries. And so the, 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 the investment that you're making in the life of children this morning, you ladies especially, 
I hope you see the significance of your influence. And the Word of God clearly teaches us that. And so I want to look this morning at five ingredients that will hopefully make your influence in the life of children even more significant. Now, I've just returned from Denver, Colorado. I got to go out for a couple of days this week, and I was with five of my grandchildren and with the love of my life, Elizabeth. And uh, we just had a great time together. And little Avery, my oldest grandchild, was telling me all of the things that they were going to do for their mom and their grandmother today. And and, uh, it it was significant, things like doing chores. And it reminded me of this little love cake for mother that I... I ran across several years ago. And I want to challenge you kids now, this morning. If you're a child here this morning, regardless of your age, here's some things that you can do for your mom today. One can of obedience. You can do that just once a year, can't you? You can go bathe one time a year. Several pounds of affection. A pint of neatness. Pick up your room. Today's a good day to do it. Some holiday, birthday, and everyday surprises. One can of running errands. The Willing brand. One box of powdered get up when I should. Wouldn't that be nice just to get up in the morning when you're supposed to? One bottle of keep sunny all day long and one can of pure thanksgiving, what the kids were just singing up here. Mix well, bake in a hearty warm oven, And serve to mother every day. She ought to have it in big slices. Give your moms a gift today. And now, if you're a mother or a parent, the first ingredient in the cake that you can give your children today as you influence them. And the first thing on my list, and that we see in the Word of God, is unending prayer. Turn to 1 Samuel for just a moment. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 through 17. Here we have the example of Hannah. She was a mother in the Old Testament. If you can find the book of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and work your way forward, then you come to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, and look at verses 9 through 17. Just let your eye run down the page there. Skim those verses. And notice Hannah's prayer for Samuel. Notice the description. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 16 especially. Notice how her prayer is described. She was deeply distressed. She prayed to the Lord and she wept bitterly. She vowed a vow. Look at verse 15. Notice that that Eli thought she was drunk. She doesn't even open up her mouth because of her pain, and she's pouring out her soul, look at verse 16, before God. She says, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Do you see those descriptions, those adjectives? That's the prayer of Hannah here in the Old Testament. And that's the first, I think, ingredient in influence in the life of any child that you have in your life, and that is unending prayer. Now, the Bible tells us in verse 12 that she continued praying. Look at that. 
This was an ongoing process. And the Bible doesn't really tell us what happened after God gave her Samuel, but I I happen to believe that she continued to pray for Samuel even after God gifted Samuel to her. Her prayers never stopped for her son that was a gift from God to her. Her prayers were unending. Many times, well, God will allow pain to come into our lives as parents to bring us to a place of prayer. And I think that Hannah was in pain in this passage of Scripture. Look at the verses again that we just read together. And notice those adjectives and those adverbs. She was in great distress. She was in pain. She was childless. And that letter to bend her knee before God. It led her to a place of prayer. And I think many times, don't you identify with this, parents, this morning? God will allow pain to come into our lives as parents to bring us to a place of prayer for our children. Cooperate with God. If he's allowed some difficulty to come into your life because he's trying to get your attention, he's trying to bring you to a place of prayer for your children. So many times we fight life, we resist God instead of cooperating with whatever it is that God's using to get our attention so that we will lift up our children before the throne of God in prayer, unending prayer. Read a story many years ago of Dr. John Walvoord, and he told the story in Dallas Seminary Chapel one day of one mother who prayed for 60 years. 60 years for the salvation of her son. And one week before she died, she got news that he trusted Christ as his savior. 60 years of unending prayer. Another story that I ran across years ago, which I've never forgotten, is a story from a well-known man who describes stumbling on his mother in prayer one morning. And this is what he wrote. Once I suddenly opened up the door of my mother's room and I saw her on her knees beside her chair and I heard her speak my name in prayer. I quickly and quietly withdrew with a feeling of awe and reverence in my heart. Soon I went away from home to school, then to college and then into sterner duties in life, but I never forgot that one glimpse of my mother at prayer. Not one word did I know what I'd seen that day, but a glimpse of what was going on every day in the secret closet of prayer. Did you know that Susanna Wesley, the mother of Charles and John Wesley, the the founders of the Methodist movement, had 17 children. Now you tell me, when did she have time to pray? Does anybody have time to pray that had, with 17 kids? But she committed one hour a day to pray for her children. And Charles and John went on to shake England for God. Shirley and James Dobson. I didn't do this personally when my kids were growing up, but I would challenge you to do this if you feel led to do it. They committed one day a week to fast and to pray for their children. So significant was the ministry of prayer in their lives. 
And I think of my own mother and her, her prayers for me. And you know what I miss most about my mother this morning? I miss her encouragement, but the thing that I, I miss the most is her prayers for me. And Elizabeth would be absolutely embarrassed if she knew that I was telling you this. But there have been many mornings when I'll go by our bedroom and there is my wife on her knees and she prays faithfully for our children. Ladies, there's no more significant investment that you can make in the life of your children that God has brought into your life, no matter how old your children are, whether they're adults today or whether they're still young. Don't ever give up praying for your children. It's the most significant ministry you can have in the life of a child. And I think I'm learning more about that as a dad, the older and older I get. Now, the second ingredient I want to talk about this morning is unconditional love. Turn to Luke chapter 15 for just a moment. Luke 15 This is a very familiar story in the New Testament. It's the story of the prodigal son. You talk about pain. You talk about disappointment. This was it for this dad, wasn't it? Look at verse 11 in this parable that Jesus gives us. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of of property that is coming to me. In other words, give me what's my due. Give me my inheritance. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he'd spent everything, how disappointed do you think this dad was? When he'd spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went, this boy went, this son went, and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. If you're a parent here today, there will come a time when your children will disappoint you. Yeah, they disappoint you when they're two or three. They disappoint you when they're five. But there will be days, even as adults, where your children may disappoint you. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. Notice the father in this parable. Unconditional love. The first ingredient is unending prayer. The second is unconditional love. Unconditional love is the foundation of a Christian home. It's God's love for us, isn't it? It's the kind of love we're to have for each other. And it's so easy when our children disappoint us and they cause us pain and and it doesn't go the way we we thought it would or, or life isn't ending up the way that we thought it would go to become their critic instead of loving them. My wife loves to say, love all the way to the end because love wins at the end of the day. Maybe you remember the story of the Ways, the Way family in Brooklyn, New York. Many years ago, there was a man by the name of Henry Way. He lived in Brooklyn, 
and he took $13,000 of his mother's money, took it right out of her safety deposit, and he bet it on a horse. You probably remember the name of this horse, Native Dancer, who I think went on to win the Kentucky Derby or maybe finished second place. Anyway, he must have finished second because he lost all $13,000 on this bet, and he was, he was uh, uh, arrested and indicted for grand larceny later. And when he was in trial, this is what his mother said. I don't have long to live. She's now at the end of her life. Her son has disappointed her. And she says, you know what? I don't have that long to live. I hope God will forgive him for his sins. And I want to forgive my son's sins. And, and she didn't hold it against him. And at the age of 43, this revolutionized Henry's life. He began to weep, and he said, I'll sign my house over to her. She can live with me for the rest of my life. A mother's unconditional, unconditional. You know what unconditional means? Unconditional means no strings attached. I'll love you anyway, all the way to the end because love wins. And that's how God loves us. Unconditional love. Even when life is painful and disappointing. You remember Woody Hayes? How many of you are old enough to remember Woody Hayes, the head football coach for Ohio State University? That big guy that used to stand out there on the sidelines. You remember the debacle years ago in that bowl game, he was so disappointed in the, in the performance of one of his football players that he actually charged out onto the field and, and I think he gave him a headbutt. He, he, he bumped into him and he was fired as the head coach of the, of the football team. I mean, you just don't do that on national television. You can get away with it. There are some things you can do in life, but you don't do that on national television. And so the university fired him. And it was one of the lowest moments of his life. And he did have a temper. And he had some lessons to learn. And it was probably justified. But do you know who stood by him and stood up for him as he was going through that low moment in his life? Tom Landry, the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, called Woody Hayes up on the telephone. And he tried to encourage him. He stood by him. He communicated not only unconditional love, but the next thing I want to talk about on this list today, that is unceasing encouragement. Turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37 for just a moment. Acts 4, verses 36 and 37. This is another very familiar section of Scripture. And if there's anybody here that's a guest today, this isn't normally the way we do do the sermon time. Usually we're going through a passage of Scripture expositionally, but this is more of a topical message today on Mother's Day. Now look at verses 36 and 37 here in Acts 4. This is Barnabas, and you remember that Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. He is probably the supreme example of encouragement in the New Testament. The Bible says, thus Joseph... Who, which was Barnabas' other name. He was also called uh, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levi, a native of Cyprus, sold a field 
that belonged to him and brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want to encourage you to go home today and not only read 1 Samuel chapter 1, the story of Hannah, as you you focus on prayer, but I want you to do some Bible study on the life of Barnabas here in the book of Acts. Just look at the life of Barnabas and ask yourself the question, why was he called the son of encouragement? Do you know why they called Barnabas the son of encouragement? That's a great Bible study question. Go home and see if you can figure it out. Study Barnabas and his relationship with the Apostle Paul. How did, ask yourself the question, how did Barnabas encourage Paul? And then study the life of Barnabas and look at his relationship with John Mark. And ask yourself the question, what did Barnabas do to encourage John Mark? And what were the results in John Mark's life? What were the attributes and the actions of Barnabas that made him a person of encouragement? Because unceasing encouragement is the third ingredient of influence in the life of a mother or any parent in the life of their child. If you want to influence a child, then be an encourager. We all need encouragement. Robert Moffat, who became a very famous missionary, used to say that his mother's kiss made him a missionary. And then I've got this wonderful story, which I've kept for years, about Benjamin West. You know that in in 1763, at the age of 25, Benjamin West was selected as the official print, pardon me, not printer, but painter for England's King George III. He became one of the most celebrated artists in all of English history. Now, do you know how he became an artist? Here's the story. One day, his mother, when he was a very young boy, left him in charge of his sister, Sally. He was supposed to take care of Sally and and babysit her. She came home to an incredible mess in their house because Benjamin West had pulled out all of the ink and all of the crayons if they had them back in those day and that day, and he, he made this picture of his sister Sally. And so his mother walks through the door and she looks at the mess. Now what would you do if you were the mother? You'd probably say, Clean up the mess. I mean you'd be focused on the mess. She looked at the mess, she looked at the ink, she looked at everything around her, and then she looked at the picture and she said, Why Benjamin? She said, It's Sally. And then she went over and she kissed her son. And Benjamin West said that his mother's kiss made him a painter, just as Robert Moffat's mother's kiss made him a missionary. Encouragement is like a kiss to the soul of a person. It's like the hug that every child needs. Proverbs has a lot to say about giving encouragement. Just look at the book of Proverbs today. Read it. It talks over and over about giving encouragement to your children and to the people around you. Can you imagine going to one of your children's wrestling meets or a track meet or a cross-country meet and your child is, 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 is having a tough day 
and, and they're lagging behind and you're standing there watching alongside the road, what would you say? Ah, oh, you look terrible. That's horrible. Can't you run? Get off the track. Quit. You're not a runner. No, you'd never say that. You'd never say that to your kid. What would you do if you were out there and you were watching them and they were having a tough day? Well, you'd, you'd try to encourage them. Come on, go for it. You can do it. You've been there a thousand times. And we need encouragement. And we need encouragement regardless of what our age is. My parents encouraged me for a lifetime. How many notes have I kept in a file and reread even years or months later, written to me as an adult at a moment when I was lower than a snake in grass, a low moment in my life, and I needed encouragement. Unceasing encouragement is the third ingredient of influence in the life of a child. And then undying faith. Turn to Romans 4, verses 18 through 21. Now, we've looked at this passage several times in uh, the limited time that I've been here. And you know it well. It's about faith. It's about Abraham and Sarah and their example of faith. And so I'm not going to reread all of it for you today because you know this passage well also. But notice how their faith is described. It grew strong. They didn't waver, but we know that they struggled with doubt. And they gave glory to God. And God was glorified before their faith and because of their faith. But let me ask you, have you ever thought about Isaac, their son? Where did Isaac learn to live by faith? Where did Isaac learn that? If you go back and read the book of Genesis, where did he pick up on it? Well, he learned it from who? Abraham and Sarah. Now turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 for just a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. I want you to see something else. This is the life of Timothy. And notice how Paul describes this. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And now God's punishing me for making fun of Phyllis. <laughs> it's not 1 Timothy, it's 2 Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy. What goes around comes around. Don't ever make fun of somebody for reading the wrong verses. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Notice what Paul says here about Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. 
How many grandmothers do we have here today? Can I just see your hands again? See, grandmothers are mentioned in the Bible. Look, look there again. Grandmother. Faith first in grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and now it makes its home in you as well. I remind you for this reason to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. And now he goes on to encourage Timothy. But notice that the baton of faith was passed down to Timothy through his grandmother and his mother. Don't sell the significance of your influence short this morning. My parents weren't Christians. When we were living in Colorado Springs, Colorado, when I was the ripe old age of four. But they came to Christ soon after. And after they came to Christ, my dad decided to sell his business and we moved to to Central America. And that forever marked me. The fact that my parents were willing to move me out of school in the fourth grade and move us all the way down to Latin America and that they do that for the Lord Jesus Christ? Why are we moving, Dad? Why do I have to leave Audubon Elementary School? I like it here. I'm comfortable here. That forever marked me, that they were willing to take a step of faith like that. And I know that Elizabeth's mother and dad marked them in that same way. Undying faith is the fourth ingredient of significant influence in the life of our children. And I think it's still marking me today. I'm not sure that Elizabeth and I would be here in New York today if my parents hadn't done that back when I was in fourth grade. It marked me. It influenced me. It showed me that I wanted to live a life all the way to the end, stepping out in faith, serving my Lord Jesus Christ. Undying faith. Now, my parents never knew that that little decision, that was really a big decision, would mark a kid in that way and that I'd end up in New York at the end of my life or toward the end of my life. Never underestimate the significance of the influence that you can have in the life of a child through unending prayer unconditional love, unceasing encouragement, and undying faith. And then this last and fifth ingredient this morning, an unselfish example. If there's one thing that I think of when I think of my own mother, it's her unselfishness. If I had a dime for every night my mother stayed up waiting for me, drove me to the ball game or school when she probably didn't want to, made that meal that I wanted that she didn't really feel like fixing, sold that tear in my clothes, ran that errand, even though she was exhausted, I'd be a millionaire this morning if I had just a dime for every time she did that. And if my own children, if my own children had a dime for every time Elizabeth did the same, they'd be billionaires this morning. The unselfish example of mothers. If you're a mom, you know what I'm talking about because motherhood is not without its negative components, even though people get irate when you acknowledge this. 
Mothers have to forgo their own immediate needs. Being a mother demands hard work and sacrifice. A parent has to put aside their own emotional needs for their child. And the reality is you fall into bed at night exhausted, you younger mothers here. And you grandmothers and you older women, you're nodding your head because I, I can see you know what, what, what I'm talking about. You know the exhaustion. Unselfish example. God uses that as well in the life of children. Well, motherhood is different and the face of motherhood is changing in case you're interested. Ran across this just a couple of years ago in 2014. Did you know that 2014 was the 100th anniversary of Mother's Day? And so this little article takes a look at mothers then and mothers now. And I was fascinated. The average age of women that got married in 1914 when Mother's Day first started, you know what it was? 21.6. In 2014, just two years ago, 26.9. People are getting married later and later. Women who got divorced in 1914, 0.1%. 2014, 50%. Average age during first birth. In 1914, when the first child was born, the typical age of a mother was 22. In 2014, 30. Isn't that interesting? Cost of weekly grocery shopping for mothers in 1914, $4 a week. 2014, $200. Women in the workforce in 1914, 19.9%. 2014, 46.3%. Life expectancy in 1914, when Mother's Day first began, 51.8. You were lucky if you lived to be 52. 2014, average life expectancy, 82.2 years of age. Number of children, 2014, three. 2014, two. Now, here's an interesting little tidbit. In 1914, did you realize this, men? Think how lucky you are, you dads and you husbands here this morning. In 1914, most women only washed their hair once a month. (laughs) Not having grocery store aisles dedicated to hair care products. Don't we wish that there were less of them today? These women typically shampooed their locks with borax or egg yolks. That's what they did back in 1914. Yes, the face of motherhood is changing. Our world is changing. We live in a different world today. Our culture is changing. But there's one thing that will never change. The most important job and the most significant institution is the institution of motherhood. It's the most significant So don't sell yourself short. Go home today. Be encouraged, moms, grandmothers, aunts, whoever you are, if you have the opportunity to impact the life of a child and cultivate one of these five ingredients. Unending prayer, unconditional love, unceasing encouragement, undying faith, and the unselfish example of being a mother to your children. Let's bow together in prayer.
Well, Lord.